Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. area we're going to be around depending on how much you want to turn but Acts 22 would be a good place that you might just uh, begin at so we have for the last multiple weeks now we've been walking through on Wednesday nights different character studies looking at both men and women looking at both Old Testament and New Testament looking at both the famous and the infamous the good and the bad looking at those individuals because we understand that not only has God given us his word as a instruction and a measurement to rule our lives but also we have men and women that have gone before us that we see how God um, interact with them they see we see how they interacted with God and we not only learn about ourselves we learn about who we are in God and how we should respond to God by looking at the examples and lessons we have from the people that have gone before us and so we've been looking at a different character every single Wednesday night we get to them we are asking the three questions who were they biographical just factual information why do we know them as far as not only we know they're in the Bible but what makes them stick out among all the thousands of names that we have in the Bible why do we know them in particularly and then the last one we ask is what what lessons do they teach us when we think about their lives we think about the way that God responded to them they responded to God what are some lessons that we can then look at their lives and then take and apply it to our lives today looking at these different characters tonight we're going to look at the apostle Paul and he is a character that in the next 30 minutes there's no way that we're going to exhaustively work through all there is that could be said or talked about when it comes to the Apostle Paul. But there is definitely we can uh, take our best college try at in the next 30 minutes of talking about who he is, why do we know him, and what lessons do he teach? does he teach us. So let's just jump straight into it. And of course when I say who was he, I'm asking for biographical, factual information. Um, so what do we know about the Apostle Paul. What do we know about him? Who he was? He was named Saul. He was named Saul. Do we know why he was named Saul and then Paul? Was he wrong? Well, there is. I I don't have a solid answer for you. Um, He was named Saul before conversion. He was even called Saul after conversion. But then once he really started being used in a prominent way in ministry is when his name became Paul. I can show you some people, some scholars that have written that have said that Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was a more Gentile name. And since he was sent by God to minister to the Gentiles, that is why he took on the name of Paul. Because it was more of a Gentile type name is some things they've said. But again, like I've told you many weeks in a row, when we get to this stuff... I don't want to say, well, this is biblical truth if we don't have a chapter and verse for it. So really don't have a place where it says that, hey, this is why the name was changed or that Saul meant this and Paul meant that. But 
yes, we do see it in there that at one time he is Saul and the next time he is Paul. Yes. What else do we know about him? Born in Tarsus. Born in Tarsus? How do we know that? Uh, well, he claims it here in 22.3. 22.3, right. So there's a good reason why we're in 22. Okay. So it says in 22.3 that uh, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in where? Cilicia. Cilicia? We know where that's at? West of Juarez. <laughs> it's actually east of Juarez by a little ways. It's east of Juarez by a long ways. Okay, so does any do anybody have in the back of their Bible the maps? Right? So you get to the back of the Bible, you'll probably have a map that'll have a, may have one or two maps that talk about the Old Testament, maybe Moses, maybe the, the Exodus out of Egypt. But if you keep going, there'll most likely be a map, maybe of modern maybe of the biblical uh, city of Jerusalem. Do you have a map that talks about the missionary journeys of Paul? Does anybody have a map back there where you might see um, where Tarsus or Sicilia is at? And if maybe a hint for you, if you find Jerusalem, kind of track up about a 10 or 11 o'clock trajectory up along the Mediterranean Sea. Does anybody have a map that would show that? See, if Ron was here with his official King James, he would probably have it in there. He'd, probably, he'd for sure have it in there. So like in, my, so like in the Bible that I use, uh, when it talks about Paul's first and second missionary journey, it has Tarsus and Cilicia that is listed. So um, I don't know how many of you all will be able to see that. So you have the Mediterranean Sea, which is all of this right here. This down here would be Jerusalem. And you come all the way up, you get past Antioch, which we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then Cilicia is right here and Tarsus is right there. So it is along the Mediterranean Sea. It would be a Roman province. It would be a Roman controlled area, but it wouldn't necessarily be a heavily Jewish area because it wasn't considered to be part of the original allotment of the promised land. Okay? But obviously there's Jewish influence, but um, not necessarily like within one of the the areas what they consider to be the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? So from Tarshish, what else do we know about him? He had a a mentee in the faith, a young man that was following him, a disciple of his named Timothy, yes? He was educated in Jerusalem. He was educated in Jerusalem? How do we know that? He was raised and educated in Jerusalem. Okay, how do we know that? Uh, 22.3 again? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that what Gamaliel? Gamaliel? Is that what that means? Okay, so, so that's another rabbit trail that we got time for. What do we know about Gamaliel? Anybody remember where we, what, why we would know Gamaliel? So put your, hold your finger there in Acts 22 and turn back to Acts chapter 5. So, um, in the Bible that I use, um, or in the Bible software that I use, Gamaliel, his name is only used twice um, in the Bible. Once there in 22.3, where Paul says, hey, I was trained by this guy. And then you get to Acts chapter 5, and there's an explanation of who this guy is. Now, the setting is, is that, of course, Peter and John, they had gone into the temple. The lame beggar was there. They healed the lame beggar. He's running around. People get excited. Peter starts to preach, and he's doing this within the 
Temple Mount. So he's not doing this in some obscure place at the Sea of Galilee. He's actually stones throw away from the temple and he is preaching Christ, which was very um, controversial, if you will. So as he said there preaching Christ, it tells us that some of the religious officials, they sent some of their soldiers and they went and they, they detained them. It tells us... Um, chapter 5 and verse 24. Now when the, ca- the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them and wondering what would come to. Um, and then it says down there in verse 26, Then the captain of the officers went and, and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So they bring them in, and they got Peter and John, and they're trying to figure out, what are you guys doing? Don't understand what is going on. And so they said, we thought we told you not to say anything. And Peter says, well, you know what? You don't decide what we talk about and what we don't talk about. We're going to talk about what we have been told to say, and that is we're going to preach Jesus. So, verse 33, when they heard this, they, talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. That's it. That's the first time we see Gamaliel mentioned in Scripture. What does that tell us? Well, that tells us that Gamaliel was not just a Pharisee, but that he was a highly, it tells us he was a highly honored Pharisee, and he was a Pharisee with enough clout and enough of an influence, enough of authority, that when he said, hey guys, let's do this, the entire council yielded to what his direction was, and they put them out, and then they had a conference between themselves, and that's verse 36 down through the rest of the chapter in Acts chapter 5. So was Paul involved in that? In Acts chapter 5? Yeah. We don't have any record that he was. Again, I can't tell you that he wasn't there because it doesn't say that he wasn't there, but I can't say he was there because it doesn't say that he was there. So when we think about who Paul was, yes, he was from Tarsus, and yes, he was taught, raised up, as a Pharisee, um, you'll see that in Acts chapter 23 and verse 6, he was raised up as a Pharisee, but not just any regular Pharisee. He was had a pedigree. He had a uh, lineage. He had a resume. He had, he had gone to MIT. He had gone to West Point. He had gone to Harvard. He had gone to one of those Ivy League schools and got his education there. So that was considered to be having a little more weight. So what else do we know about him? Maybe. Where would you think that would be at? Probably in the Bible. You've been listening to Harold. Okay. So it is, yes. Yeah, it is in the Bible. All right. So you are probably thinking, Miss, you're probably thinking Acts 9? That's, yeah, yeah that, I, I, I knew that's what you were thinking. You were just seeing if I knew, yeah. right? You were just testing me. <laughs> so in Acts chapter 9 is where um, Saul, because he hasn't been called Paul yet, he's on the road to Damascus, gets struck down the conversion, and he is blind for three days. Yes, ma'am. What else do we know? Factual biographical information about Saul slash Paul. He was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead? Uh, no. Were you... Teach me. Okay. I have to find it now. Okay. Persecuted Christians. Persecuted Christians. Prison a lot. Prison a lot. Okay, he had a, he had a rap sheet. Okay. Do we know anything about a 
father, a mother, brothers, sisters? He had a sister. He had a sister. How do we know he had a sister? In the nephew, 23.16. All right, so if you're there in Acts 22, and you just turn right over there to Acts 23 and 16, the story here is he is being held by the guards. He had come back to Jerusalem. Everybody said, this is your last time. They're going to they're gonna persecute, you, you, persecute you, and you won't ever get out of there as a free man. He showed up. Um, a riot broke out. He started getting beat on. Um, the Romans came in, broke it up, was carrying him into the barracks. He stops and says, hey, can I talk to the people? And, uh, okay, he talks to them, and then they take him inside, and as he realizes there's a plot to kill him, the reason why he knows there's a plot to kill him is because it tells us in 23 and verse 16, it says, Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. That's the only thing we know, but by that we do know that he had a sister and he had a nephew. (laughs) don't know the sister's name or the nephew's name, but we do know that um, we do know that much. The father and mother's name is never mentioned either way. Yes, the mother's name is, is never... Uh, uh, we know that he's Roman because he was born in Tarsus, so he had a Roman citizenship. That's right. By birth. So that's one right. of his parents had to been Roman, even though they also had a Jewish... Sure. So Wh- which parent would have been Roman? More likely his father. Mm, mm, you think so? Well, that's what some say. So like if you go to Acts 23, 6. Mm-hmm. So it tells us in Acts 23, 6. Now when Paul perceived that one power of Sadducees and their Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I would lean that maybe his mother was Roman because his father had to have been Jewish to be a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Now, I don't have a chapter and verse that says that. Say that probably his father. Sure. But his father and mother had some Jewish ties. Sure. Because it's, uh, I can't remember now which, where it is, but because they actually mentioned that he was a tribe of Benjamin. Yes, yes. Well, you'll see that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. He'll say that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Yes. So we know that he was... Had a father that was a Pharisee. We don't know the mother's name. We know that one of them had some Roman Roman connections because he was a Roman citizen. Roman citizen by the fact that he was born in Tarsus and also Roman citizen by the uh, the uh, lineage of his family. Um, do know that he was taught by Gamaliel. Do know that he was from Tarsus. Do know that he was a Pharisee. Do know from Philippians 3 he was of the tribe of Benjamin. What else do we know factual about him? Wife? Kids? No, Spence, he was single by choice. Well, I've heard that. How do you know that? Well, silly, if you look in 1 Corinthians 7, it tells us, Paul, as he's writing, and you know, I, I can read this to you, you can turn there. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I 
am. So there in the passage, in the context of that passage, he is saying, he is saying this is the role that God, there are some people that God sets aside for singleness. And there are some people that God sets aside after um, the death of a loved one for widow or widow, widower um, hood that God will use that. And so he's giving some teaching here and he um, alludes to the fact that he is um, single by choice, that he had made a decision that he is going to commit himself and devote himself to God, which is why he is single. We don't have any other record about him being married or any children or anything like that. Um, the only things that we have is that he was a single man um, devoted to the service of God. Anything else we know about him? That he pushed Eutychus out the window? Is that the new living that you're reading out of? Like a, like a party trick. Party trick, is that what it was? Told you. <laughs> no, he, he fell out of the window. That's right, he did. He did. Okay, so let's pivot to the second question. Um, why do we know him? What are the things that make him stick out that make him somebody that is memorable, somebody that we would spend a Wednesday night in November talking about? What's that? Minister of the New Testament. Minister of the New Testament. Okay. Thirteen books of the Bible. Wrote thirteen books of the Bible. Thirteen or fourteen? I count as thirteen. Okay. All right. I'll let you ponder on that. Maybe a question more than anything. Wasn't he asked like, if you knew the end of the world was coming, what would you do? And he said, I'll just continue sitting here playing. I am not familiar of that, but I don't have it all memorized, so it might be there. Maybe I'm just, <coughs> it's not coming to mind. I'm trying to find it. Okay. He's a ministry of glory. Minister of glory. Okay. Max 7. Uh-huh. First introduced to you. Yes. Oh. Why? Stephen was a martyr and stoned to death, and the Pharisees played their coach or left their coach with Saul as he stood by. That's right. So when Stephen is being martyred, it tells us that verse uh, chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, verse 58, then they cast him out of the city, talking about Stephen. Stephen was a deacon. He was one of the first seven deacons to be chosen. Stephen had gone around. He was full of the Spirit, full of faith, and he was teaching people about Jesus. They didn't like it. Um, decided to take him to trial and he pretty much just uh, cleaned their clocks with his understanding of the things of God, especially the things of Jesus. They got mad at him. Verse 58, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young young man named Saul. Same guy, Paul, writes 13, right? 14, 13, 14, however many, Harold? Writes 13 books of the Bible, okay? So, yes, he is um, an early opponent. He wasn't an early opponent of Jews, Jews or Jewish religion. He wasn't an early opponent of Judaism. It's they saw the things of Jesus and what they called the way, which is what we call New Testament Christianity. They saw that as being in opposition to the Judaistic traditions. Does that make sense? So he wasn't opposed to God. It wasn't that he was atheistic. It wasn't that he was opposed to the Old Testament. He just saw what they were doing as blasphemous to the things of God. And so they were trying to 
destroy and to neutralize those things. So he was an early <coughs> excuse me, he was an early opponent, but I don't want you to I don't want you to hear from me that he was an early opponent to God, Judaism, the temple, religion. Because he was all those things as a Pharisee. He was opposed to the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. Which that is what um, we are a downstream lineage from. Okay? So he's an early opponent. Then we get over to where Shaney was talking about in Acts chapter 9. Where we have the dramatic conversion. Because if you keep reading there between Acts 7 and Acts 8... Um, Saul takes another step and he says, how about I go out and I start arresting people that identify as followers of Jesus. I arrest them. I bring them back to the council and we try them as heretics and we try them as blasphemies, which blasphemous, blasphemy, whatever that word would be. Uh, we try them as guilty of blasphemy, which was a crime punishable by death. So Saul being a good Pharisee, decides he's going to go out and he's going to start rooting these people out and he's going to arrest them and then he's going to bring them back. And so you get down there uh, in Acts chapter 9 and you have the conversion of Saul. He's on his way to Damascus to go find some Christians, right? And as he's on the way to Damascus looking for the Christians is when what happens? The bright light. The bright light. Knocks him down. Then he was blinded. blinded. Where did the bright light come from? God. Now I'm going to split some hairs here for a second. Was it God or Jesus? Jesus, because Jesus spoke. Which I know, I know they're both they're both the same part of the trick. You know, they're both they're in the trinity. I understand. I understand. You can say, oh, they're three in one. I, I'm not debating, and I, and I don't I don't want you to think that I'm you know that it's. But it was Jesus. Why does that make a difference? The reason why I think it makes a difference is because when you go back to look at the the office of the apostle, the office of the apostle. This goes back to Acts chapter one. The office of the apostle was reserved for someone that followed Jesus that had seen the resurrected Christ and was called into service by Jesus. Not God, because no one has ever seen God, but Jesus. Why does that matter? Well, because when Paul then claims the office of the apostle, and you say, well, how were you qualified, Paul? Was because in the bright light was Jesus... He was a follower of Jesus, saw the resurrected Christ, and Jesus called out and called him to service, which therefore qualified him to the office of the apostle. He what? He opposed Peter. Why? Do you know why? It's in Galatians 2. Right? But do you know why he opposed him? Okay. So... Down and up, I shouldn't say down. Well, everything is down from Jerusalem. So to the north of Jerusalem is Galatia, which is where the right, the, the area that we, that we now know in the Bible as Galatians. It was written to Galatia, part of what is modern day Turkey now. Asia Minor at the time. But Peter's up there, and why he's up there 
He is freely associating with the Gentiles, eating with them, fellowshiping with them, etc., etc., etc. Paul shows us some other Jews. Peter goes, hey, I'm not supposed to be doing this to the Jew. Peter withdraws from them and it kind of looks bad because one minute Peter's being their buddy, the next minute Peter's sitting back going, hey, I can't talk to you because there's some divisions there ethnically. <coughs> Paul took objection to, ob- objection to it and called Peter out. Yeah. Said, you're being a hypocrite. Don't do it. What I found interesting is reading chronological right now. Galatians actually calls in the kind of the middle of Acts. Yes. Where Paul wrote that letter. Yes. Yes. What else do we know about him? Why else do we know him? He was an apostle to the Gentiles specifically. Okay. Do you know where we find that at? Do you know off the top of your head? It's in the Bible. <laughs> that's that's a good. So, well, I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to play gotcha on you, Stephen. So, when you think about how do we know that he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, you will see um, reports of this when you get to the Book of Acts. So, the way the storyline comes in, um, they're on the way to Damascus. Jesus shows up. Saul is converted. He is led into Damascus. Why he's in Damascus? He's in Damascus for three days. During that time, God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, go to Straight Street. You'll find in the house, you'll find a man named Saul. He's a chosen instrument of mine. Lay your hands on him so you can regain his sight. Ananias is like, well, I think I don't think you quite know who you're talking about here, God. Um, this is the guy that was coming here to arrest us and persecute us. I think you got the wrong guy. You might go back and check. And God said, nope, this is my guy. This is what I want you to do. So that's what Ananias does. So then he goes and he lays his hands on Paul. And Paul's sight is regained. All right. So then... He gets in Damascus and he starts preaching Christ. And they're like, oh, you're crazy. Well, there's enough people in Damascus. They're like, we don't like what you're having to say. So they ran him out of town. He goes down to Jerusalem. He's down in Jerusalem, but the church in Jerusalem didn't trust him, so he wasn't allowed to freely come in and out. Barnabas finds him. Barnabas gives him an introduction to the church in Jerusalem and said, hey, this guy is legitimate. He's somebody we can trust. So Saul then started being able to come in and fellowship with the early church in Jerusalem until enough people got mad at Saul. Saul, and then they ran him out, and he goes back to Tarsus. He's back in Tarsus for about three years or so. Then we're going to get over here to Acts chapter 11. During the persecution of Stephen, the whole church was scattered. People went in different directions. Um, We have the story about Philip and him going up to Samaria. Philip talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. That's Acts chapter 8. In this process, there were some believers that went north of Jerusalem up to the area of Antioch. It is what is modern day Syria. They get up there and... uh, the gospel starts taking root. People start getting converted. People start getting saved. The church down in Jerusalem hears about this and like, we need to find out what's going on up there. So they send Barnabas. Barnabas, go check it out. Barnabas goes and I'm in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19 down through 30. If you just want to see that I'm not making this up. Barnabas goes up there. He sees all this stuff going on and he's like, I need help. Well, he's up in Antioch and Tarshish is just a little ways away around the bend of the Mediterranean Sea. So Barnabas says, hey, I 
got it. I'm going to go get Saul. He runs over to Tarshish, gets Saul, brings him back to Antioch, and now he and Saul begin to expand the ministry and to expand the work that is taking off there in Antioch. And so you see whenever Saul gets there, and that's what he starts to do. And he starts to say, here's who I am, and this is what I'm doing, and this is what I have going on. So then... What happens? They're in Antioch, and it says there, this is Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church of Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius and Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they worshiped the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And that is what begins what we know as the first missionary journey of Saul and Barnabas. Now, how do we know that he was sent to the Gentiles? Well, one, right there in Acts 13, he's sent out. And where does he go? He goes up to what is modern day Turkey, Asia Minor at that time. And that's where he goes up to um, eventually in those three missionary journeys. That's where he goes to Philippi. That's where he goes to Corinth. That's where he goes to Ephesus. That's where he goes to Galatia. Um, He's up there in Bithynia and all those areas up there. That's when he goes up there. But also, and I want to say this is Acts 15. I don't have the exact reference. But when he comes back and he's testifying to what he's doing, there was people that was questioning, why are you doing it? And he says, because Christ told me that I was sent to the Gentiles. That, that's, that's who I am. That's, that's the focus of my ministry. There are some people that their focus of ministry was for the Jews, but Paul's, Saul's was to the Gentiles. What else do we know about him? Why else, why else does he stick out to us? He received uh, the Spirit by faith. Okay. Receive the Spirit by faith. Alright. How many missionary journeys did he take? How many? Three? Three? That's good. That's a good guess. Alright. So the first one, alright, the first one he took Barnabas with him, right? Alright. Who else went with him the first time? Well, I think that was the second time, if I, if I have my timeline right. So the first time, I, from my memory, it was just Paul and Barnabas. They come back, they take off on a second missionary journey, and this time they take John Mark. And who is John Mark? The author of Mark. But he is a nephew of Barnabas. Why would he, why would he matter to us right now? Well, yes, but he's also the one that authored the Gospel of Mark, which is where we're at on Sunday mornings. So um, John Mark goes with Paul and Barnabas. He gets about halfway in the trip and uh, gets homesick and takes off back to the house. All right, remember this? So then they come back for the third. They get ready to leave on the third missionary journey. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with this. And Paul says, no, he left us one time. I'm not going to take him a second time. A sharp disagreement arose between them. So then Paul and Barnabas split. Barnabas took John Mark and went in one direction, and Paul took Silas. He took Silas, and they went back and did the third missionary journey. You can tease Jaylene because I wanted to name Tough Silas, and she wouldn't let me because I thought I think Silas is a cool name, so now I got to name a dog Silas. So, but. <laughs> But I really wanted to name that one, that one Silas, and she just never warmed up to that name. Which, you know, I told her it's in the Bible. That should count. But 
Anyways, so you take on the third missionary journey, that's when he takes Silas and uh, John, Mark, goes with Barnabas and goes in a different direction. Alright? So, three missionary journeys, wrote 13 books of the Bible. The only reason I say 14 is because we don't know who wrote Hebrews. So if you think that Paul wrote Hebrews and he wrote 14, if you don't think he wrote Hebrews and he wrote 13, we know for sure we can, well, not for sure, um, high percentage probability, we know that he wrote 13. 14 is a, is a coin toss, if you will. All right? Wrote the 13 books, and then do we know when he died? No, we don't. So we don't have a chapter and verse that says when he died. Um, we know from other Jewish historical writings um, that he probably died somewhere 64 to 66 A.D. Um, probably in Rome. Um, you can get through the book of Acts. And that, when you get down there to Acts 26 and 27 and 28, you see that whole saga of him being in Jerusalem and him making his way to Caesarea. And then from Caesarea, making his way to Rome to be tried in front of Caesar um, for the crimes that he was being accused of. And so we know that he got up there. Um, Jewish history, Jewish tradition tells us that he got up there. And in that setting, your accusers had to show up to make their case. And you got to make your case. He was there for a season. His accusers didn't show up. So then he was released. And he went around and did some ministry for a period of time. And then right about that same time is when you had Nero. And Nero was a psychopath. And he is credited with burning a large portion of the city of Rome. um, And credited with starting it. But then he couldn't take the blame for it. So trying to find someone to give the blame to, he then blamed the Christians. And then used that as an opportunity and an excuse then to begin to persecute Christians and going after them because this was the group of people that are responsible for a destruction of a large part of the crown jewel of the Roman Empire. I think that during um, that period of time of great persecution is when Paul was re-imprisoned and during that time is when he was most likely beheaded somewhere around 64 to 66 AD. However, we don't have a chapter and verse that says anything. We just... That's what, we, that's what we glean from Jewish tradition and other historical writings. Alright? What lessons? What lessons does Paul teach us that we can walk out of here with tonight? Some things bear repeating. Some things bear repeating? Okay. Where do you get that from, Miss Denise? Well, I've been studying Romans, and I just know there's some things he says over and over and over. Right. So, I... Really, have been noticing that lately. Okay. As I was saying, the books of Acts, he gives his testimony basically four times. Yes. One right after the other. So, basically, the group of people that's trying to kill him and then three different leaders. Right. That's right. I think there's something to be said about him finally hearing Jesus whenever he was blinded. Right. Sure. Sure. One of the things that I find interesting is how you see through the life of Paul how God had prepared Paul for the work that he had for Paul to do. So he had put Paul with the father that he had 
in the family that he had and then raised him under the tutelage of Gamaliel the way he did, raised him up as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So he had all the knowledge. So not only could he articulate why this was the Messiah, but he had all the Old Testament information and all of this learning and education to be able to interact and to speak intelligently like you get down there um, there in Greece and he gets up there at the Areopagus Areopagus Mars Hill. He gets to Mars Hill in your King James Bible and he gets there and he's arguing with the intellects and he's arguing with the learned. He's arguing with the philosophers trying to show them who Christ was. And all of these were results of God preparing him step by step. Sometimes we just assume that things going on in our lives that it's wasted or it has no value. And we forget how God spends a lifetime preparing you and I for the days that he has for us tomorrow. Areopagus. See? I'm the Areopagus, okay? So, but just over and over, you see through the life of Paul that there was a purpose for what God had brought him to. So that God knew what he was going to have for him tomorrow. And there's sometimes that you and I will look at it and go, why is God doing this today? Because we have no idea what God is going to do for us tomorrow. No idea. Any other lessons that stick out? He obeyed. Jesus. He did obey Jesus, yes, sir. He did. There's a couple of passages, and then I'll be done. Sometimes we just think that our ministry or our opportunity is insignificant. Sometimes we think we're just a simple little old person and there's nothing that we can do. And sometimes we start to think that, hey, you know what? I am unknown, unrecognized, unappreciated, and of no value to the kingdom of God. You get to Acts chapter 19. Paul is there in Ephesus. And by all accounts that we have of Paul... He wasn't like a Billy Graham crusade. He didn't show up with semis and semis and semis. He wasn't broadcasted on television like all of the charlatans that are there trying to get your money. Um, he, he, he wasn't somebody that had a big mega church and thousands and thousands of people. He didn't have thousands of people following him on X or Instagram or those social media stuff. You had one tent maker that fell in love with Jesus, that was content and committed to going around and telling other people about Jesus. We don't have any record of prosperity. He just got by. He gets down to Ephesus and he spends some time in Ephesus. And it says in 19 and verse 10, this continued for two years. And it's just he's just preaching Jesus. He's showing people how to follow Jesus and reaching more people and encouraging the people that he's reached to go find more people and reach them with Jesus. He says this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. It's this idea that you had one guy and he was committed and devoted. He was just silly enough to think that he didn't have to be worried about the next day, the next week, or the next month. He just needed to be worried about the next conversation that God was bringing to him. And day by day by day, day by day by day, he just kept being faithful. And it says, to the point, after two years, all 
of Asia had heard about Jesus. Why? Because of one man that would not stop talking about Jesus. Then, last place, Acts 28. It's kind of odd how the Acts of the Apostles ends. Because it really just leaves Paul. He's in house arrest in Rome. And it says in verse 30, He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What do you mean? Why is that significant, Spence? Well, when you think about it, he's in house arrest. He doesn't know if he's going to live. He doesn't know he's going to die. Tomorrow, the emperor can send for him and say, you're it. You're, you're done. You're dead. You're gone. He doesn't know. He's living in a house. He's far away at his own expense. He's having to raise his own support in a foreign land, being held on charges that he wasn't guilty of. And instead of being focused on a defense, being focused on a pity party, being focused on how bad his plight was, being focused on how he could escape, being focused on his condition, and why would God let these things happen to him? And God, if you love me, why do you have me here? And all of these things that Spence does, when I have bad days, I so quickly start to focus on me and blame God and assume that God is mad at me and assume that I didn't deserve it and assume that God is not being fair. Maybe you've not been there. Hopefully, I'm just telling you that's where I sometimes get to. But then I look at Paul. He welcomed all who came to him. Doing what? Serving them tea and crumpets? No. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. What got him to Rome? Proclaiming Jesus. What kept him in bondage in Rome? Proclaiming Jesus. What do the history books tell us cost him his life? Proclaiming Jesus. Why was he shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and mistreated and persecuted? All those things you see there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. All that whole list of everything that happened to him. Why? Because he proclaimed Jesus. Why did all the good things and the bad things? Why was he a nomad going from town to town to town? Getting ran out? Being threatened? Why? all those things? Because he was proclaiming Jesus. And yet I have a flat tire and my witness goes to pot. I think there's an example there. I know there's a lesson there for me about how quickly I lose my zeal and I lose my fervor to tell people about Jesus. And Paul is just sitting there proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And without hindrance. So, I read that and I think, okay, Spence. So, tell yourself again the excuses you have for not being more faithful to tell people about Jesus. Tell yourself the excuses again why you can't serve with reckless fervor in the kingdom of God. Tell yourself again why you're justified in being faithfully lazy. I think there's some lessons there of what it looks like to be faithful. Any other lessons that stick out to you? There's a lot more. 
about Saul slash Paul. We didn't do it justice, exhaustive wise. Just there's a lot there. Um, you just go back to the for much the book of the Acts of the Apostles. You see a little bit there in Acts chapter seven, eight, and nine. Really, it picks up in Acts 13, and pretty much from Acts 13 through the rest of the book, one of the main characters in the story is Saul slash Paul. He's really carried on through there. And then all the letters that you have, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, um, Philemon, um, all of those are the outflow of these missionary journeys that you're reading about in the, the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostle. So all of those letters come out of these missionary journeys. So you can go back and you can start in Acts 13 and you can start reading through there and you can read all about how that New Testament church was taken from the time of Pentecost all the way um, through the 60s AD for about a 50 year span. You see where the church was working. Now it's not exhaustive about every single story, but it's the the high points um, that the writer of Acts, who was that? Do you remember? Luke, Luke, it's a, Luke. As he, those are the high points that he's focusing on, right there. Yeah. So, that's the uh, Apostle Paul. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org, please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.